Good to see you all. We missed you all last week. It's nice to be back in, in town and get to see you all here. We had a nice time down in, in Florida, nice and sunny, nice and hot. There are no waves in Florida anywhere. I'm pretty, pretty much convinced. Now, Bruce tells me there is, there is one place out there that does have some waves, and we still have to find that one, but we have not found them just yet. So we will, we will keep on looking. And uh, if you were not here last week, Brother Naz ministered, and we were able to, uh, we heard there was some trouble with the recording, but uh, we were able to, to get that taken care of, and the recording is up there, so it's, uh, I, I posted it up there last night, and it's, it's up there. The praise reports are not there, but the, uh, recording, the rest of the recording is, so we'll have to uh, work on something to do with the praise reports that we're missing, but we'll, uh, we'll get them. I like when they're, they're up there, then people get to hear what was going on, what God was doing. You can open up in your Bibles, if you like, to Genesis chapter 12. You can look up on the screen, read in your own Bible, use your phone or pad device, whatever it is that you like to do. All those things are welcome. If you need a Bible, we do have some in the back, and our ushers are happy to bring some of those over to them. Just look at them and say, hey, I need one, or wave your hand, they'll, they'll come over and see what you need. There is a, um, a thing that we do a lot of times that often holds us back. And we're, we're kind of looking this week at a combination of, of uh, things that happened with the meeting and the series that we're currently on. But how many of you know that a change in direction does not come easy? If you've gone in a certain direction, it just does not seem to be easy to change that. We want to take a look at that here this, this, this week, how we can do some of that. There was a movie that came out some years ago. I think it was somewhere in the 90s, and some of you may have... Uh, uh, may remember this, and I've uh, queued up a little scene from this for us to see. In this movie, the, uh, a guy is stuck in a loop, and he can't seem to get out of it, and he keeps trying to do different things to uh, bring himself out of this loop, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. So we're going to let you take a look at this clip. We got that ready in the back? We're going to let you take a look at this clip, and if you've seen the movie, you'll remember this. If not, then maybe it'll be a new one for you. But anyway, sit back and enjoy just a couple of minutes of, of what we have going on here. And um, you'll see some drastic action that sometimes people take in order to get themselves out of a loop. And this is, this is one of them. Go ahead. That movie was called Groundhog's Day. And, of course, it just, he just kept looping the same day over and over again. And after he caught on that he was looping the same day, it was the same. nobody else noticed this, but he noticed that the day kept repeating for him. And he had the memory of the previous days. And so after a while, he got tired of repeating those days, and he tried different things to just, he figured if he killed himself, he wouldn't come back. But he did. He kept waking up at 6 o'clock every day. And it was always the same day. So then he kind of wised up, and he decided, you know, we're going to make something out of this. And so he started taking piano lessons. And uh, by the time the day was over, he, was, uh, he, he had taken, I don't know, a couple hundred piano lessons, and he was a, uh, uh, almost a concert pianist. He was uh, able to do that real well. He also took, I think, some martial arts or something in there and, and some, other, some other stuff that he was able to, to do. And uh, so instead of just going about these days, he decided to make use of them. And so he was taking take on all these days, still with the memories of all the ones before, until finally he was able to break out of the loop and get himself going. That was Groundhog's Day. I'm not recommending you go out there and see the movie at all. I've, we've, I've seen it before on TV. And uh, there's some funnier clips to it than that, but TV cleans up things a little bit nicer than, than the movie theaters have it. So we just pulled this one out for you. But anyway, how do you change, how do you get yourself out of a loop? 
Now, what kind of a loop might you be in that you want to get a change out of? How many of you during the meetings got healed of something? How many of you during the meetings had some emotional thing that, that changed, became better? How many of you during the meetings had, had God do something else, either in your body, in your life, in your, that changed? And, and, and how do you keep yourself from going back to the way they were? Because it always seems like we go back to the way we were. It used to be uh, when we had the old Model T's and Model A's and some of the older cars, that uh, if you drove along on the roads, you had what was called ruts in the road because they weren't paved. They were dirt roads. And as you kept on driving, there would become a rut in the road in which the tires just seemed to fit right in there, and it was tough to get out of the rut. You'd have to take some effort because it would be a hill up this way, a hill up this way. But to stay in the ruts of the road was, was pretty easy. And you just kind of, one after another, would just keep going that direction. How is it that you can get yourself out of a rut that you have been in? There are three things that you need to focus on. There's probably some other ones you can get, but I'll, I'll tell you this. If you can focus on changing these three things in your life, regarding whatever issue you want permanent change for, you will see permanent change. If you just focus on three things, just three. There's probably some other ones you can pull in, but I mean, y'all know it's easier to focus on three things than 19. We're just going to give you three things that you can focus on. And I guarantee you, if you can change these three things in your life in regards to your health issue, emotional issue, uh, relationship, whatever it might be, if you can focus on these three things and change these three things, and we'll prove it to you from the Word of God, then you can have permanent change in your life on whatever it is that you have. Three things. Now, if you notice in your outline, I have the words after this, etc. You know what etc. means? I looked up the, the firm. It's an old, old English term that came in, and now we just abbreviate it. actually had some roots in the Latin and so forth. But uh, basically, etc. means when you have a list of things, and, you're, and instead of just continuing on the list, you just say, well, it's just basically more of the same. More of the same. More of the same kind of stuff in a list, etc., so forth, that, that it just keeps on going on. So we're going to use the abbreviation ETC to help you remember these three things that you need to change in order to see permanent change. Three things that you need to focus on. Here is the first one. Expecting. One of the things that keeps us, and these are not new principles to you. We've gone over all these principles for you before. This is just kind of a refresher. Even the scripture we're going to look at is something that's one of the most familiar scriptures areas that you probably have. But we're going to, it's, it's one of the greatest ones for change that I know of in the Word of God. First off, expecting. What are you expecting? If you have a physical condition that bothers you on a daily basis and you got healed of it in the me- meeting... How many of you know your expectation can be it'll probably come back? If you feel a twinge of pain, what happens to your expectation? Oh, I guess it's back. You ever said that about a thing? I guess, it's, I guess it didn't go away. What, what's wrong with that? Your expectation is it's going to come back. How many of you have ever heard people talk out there? You know, if the, if the flu is going around, what do they say? Well, I'm probably going to get it. Where's their expectation? It's in getting it. If you know people like to play the lottery, you know, they go out and they buy $10, $20, $50 worth of tickets when they go out there and do it. And um, 
and you say, do you think you're going to win? Well, probably not. (laughs) What's the expectation? Well, I'm going to do this, but more than likely it's not going to work. Our expectation isn't, isn't quite there. We don't quit going to buy the lottery tickets, but we don't necessarily expect them to, to change anything. If you wake up, if you were having problems with depression, and you come out of a meeting like that, and you feel good about yourself, and for a week or so you're feeling pretty, and then all of a sudden, oh, I don't feel good today. Maybe it's coming back. Expectation. Our expectation comes up, and that we're expecting something bad to happen. You ever heard people talk about when something bad happens? Well, things happen in threes. I guess two more bad things are going to happen to me. All right? That's our expectation. We've, we've gotten our expectation as such that that's where it's going to be. You can hear about God doing miracles for other people, and that sometimes doesn't build expectation in people for God to do something for them. What's it build inside of them? Well, God loves other people more than me. Never seems to come about for me. See, their expectation is the problem. If you can focus on changing what you expect in that particular area, you can change where you go. Expectation. What are you going to do with that? That's the first one. Here's the second one. This is not new to you. You all know this one. Thinking. How many of you have thoughts that, all right, well, I feel pretty good today. I mean, you begin to think about it and say, well, you know, I've had times in the past and I felt good for a day or two, but then it would come back. Your thinking, your thinking gets off. You begin to think. You begin to imagine. You begin to build things up in your mind. You begin to, your thinking's off. Your thinking on a thing is, is wrong. What's the Word of God say about our thinking? Whatsoever things are lousy, awful, horrible, unpleasant. No. Whatsoever things are disastrous, poverty. Does it say, no. What's it say? Whatsoever whatsoever things are good, pleasant, so forth. He wants you to think on good things, right? How many of you can say that throughout the, the course of this week, this past week, that every moment of every day you were thinking good thoughts? Would you say that over the last seven days that you were thinking good thoughts all the time? Now, if, if you were not, if you say, well, no, nah, not quite all, a lot of it, but not quite all, what category of, an, of a person of obedience, what category does that put you in? Does it put you in full obedience? Does it put you in no obedience? Does it put you in partial obedience? Obedience. What's God like? God likes full obedience, doesn't he? He likes it to be full obedience. So we need to get ourselves... If God expects us to have full obedience, we can do it. Would God expect something that we, we couldn't do? We were listening to some... I don't know if I shared this one with you or not, but I liked it when he, when he uh, had brought this up. He says, uh, uh, how many have ever heard the thought that you can never... Worship God enough. Right? You can never pray enough. Can you really ever read enough of the Word of God? Can you ever study the Word of God enough? Can you ever think of God enough? Now, our standard answer to this question is, no, 
I could worship God more. I could study the word more. I could read the word more. I could praise God more. I could worship God more. I could, we could do all these things more, right? I could give more. How many of y'all know yet to come to, I could give more. Yeah. Well, this person that they, they, they shared this, they said, is God, God was actually talking to him, and God said to him, he says, am I unreasonable? And he said, God, certainly not. Certainly you are not unreasonable. He said, if I'm not unreasonable, then it has to be possible for you to read the word enough. It has to be possible for you to worship enough. Right? It has to be possible for you to have prayed enough. What keeps us in a mentality of thinking, I haven't done that enough, is a religious mentality. We're trying to get something from God by doing religious activities. And we just keep thinking, well, I, I gave $20, I could have given 30 I gave $200, I could have given 250 I could have done more, right? I worshiped God for an hour, I could have worshiped God for two, but I just had other things I wanted to do. Look at Jesus' life. Did Jesus worship God all day? Did Jesus pray all day? Did Jesus study the Word all day? Did He read the Bible all day? Did He minister all day? Did He do the will of the Father all day? If Jesus didn't do those things all day, and He did the will of the Father, then what makes you think that you have to do them all day in order to please the Father? The Word of God says, when, when God came down in the dove, or in, in the transfiguration, and Peter was talking, the Word of God says that God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am partially pleased. Oh, well pleased? Well pleased? Huh. Isn't that something? Did Jesus fast? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And during the time of his ministry, did he fast? No. Didn't he say that John the Baptist came fasting, not eating, not drinking? And you didn't receive him? I came eating and drinking. They said that they came to him and they said, the, uh, the disciples of John, they fast, but your disciples don't. How come? He said, while the bridegroom is with them, they will not fast. When the bridegroom is gone, they will fast. Did Jesus fast during his time of ministry? Apparently not. There were some times he withdrew all night and prayed. You know why, folks? There's also times he slept. And it was okay. Do you know when it's enough that you have read the Bible enough? Do you know when that is? It's real easy. When you feel released in your spirit. You know what? And that may be five minutes. You may have read the Bible five minutes and God say, that's it. You may have read the Bible for an hour and you didn't get that clearance yet. And God just wanted you to go just a little bit further. He was going to show you something. It's not a matter of how much, how much time you spend in it. God wants to accomplish something. You may accomplish that thing in five minutes. Brother Hagin used to share with us when he was learning some things about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. And uh, one time he was, he was praying in tongues and he prayed in tongues for an hour straight. And after that he got up and the devil said to him, well, that's really good, you just wasted an hour. He says, no, I didn't waste an hour. And just for that I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray another hour. And he got down on his knees and he prayed in the Spirit 
for another hour, two hours, prayed in the spirit, straight. After he got done that, the devil said to him, well, that's just great. You just wasted another hour. He said, I didn't waste an hour. And just to prove it to you, I'm going to double up what I just did. I just prayed an hour. I'm going to pray two hours now. So he prayed one hour, one hour, and two hours. Four hours he prayed in the spirit. And he told the devil, he says, and if you bother me after that, I'm going to double it up again. And he prayed in the spirit then for, he said, one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. He said, four hours I was praying in the spirit. And he said, it was tough. You just kind of plowing along. He said, there was no anointing with it. You just, you just kind of there praying on through the spirit. He said, but all of a sudden, towards the end of the fourth hour, something happened. And I, he said, he called it this way. He said, I hit a gusher. And he said, it just started flowing out of me. He just praying in the spirit. Tongues were just flowing out of him. And time just flew by. And he says, now I've learned over the years where it doesn't take me four hours to get to that place anymore. He can get there a whole lot faster. Well, he accomplished the same thing. Get there a whole lot faster. That's, that's all fine. God is not unreasonable. You don't have to spend your whole day reading, studying, praying, worshiping, praising. You can get out there and do some things. You can also have some fun. It's okay. God is not unreasonable. Change your thinking. Change your thinking on that. God is not impressed with how long you do something. He's impressed with what you get done. Get something done in that. You could study. People have studied the Word of God for hours on end in a day and got nothing out of it but religion. That doesn't please God. God doesn't care how long you did a thing. Change your thinking on this. You've got to change your, your thinking. So the first thing we've got to do is your expectation. You're expecting. What are you expecting out of that condition? You're thinking on it. What are you thinking about that? Take it this way. How many of you believed God... Or believe that it was, it was godly to be poor. Come on, tell me about it. I, I was raised in a church and it was godly to be poor. It was not godly to have money. It was godly to be poor. You, it was, if you had stuff, you're missing God. God, didn't, God wanted you poor. He wanted you humble. All this sort of thing. And that's wrong. That's, that's not the... Look at Abraham. Did God want Abraham poor? No. When Israel left out of Egypt, did he want them poor? No, they walked out of there with all kinds of gold and stuff. Uh, uh, Joseph, was he poor? No. He was not poor. Isaac? Israel? Poor? No. Not poor at all. Uh, even Lot. Lot had stuff. God, God blessed him all his time he was associated with Abraham. David. Was David poor? King David, was he poor? No. He collected so much stuff that they said, I think it was silver, didn't have a whole lot of value in the kingdom because there was so much of it. Solomon, was he poor? Did God lead him into poverty? Here's a tough one for you. Was Jesus poor? He was not. He was not. When Jesus was born, wise men came and gave him a whole mess of stuff. He started out rich. <laughs> Had money to finance the ministry. He did all right, huh? God is not desirous to be poor, but as long as we keep thinking that God wants me to be poor, then I keep pushing myself in that direction. If, if an opportunity comes along for me to make some money, well, I don't know that God would be in that. Why not? Why not? Expecting? 
thinking. You've got to get these things changed. You've got to stop thinking that what if this thing comes back? What if this thing happens again? What if you've got to get yourself out of that? Expectation and thinking. Here's the third one. If you can get those first two down, this will help you in the third one. This third one is tough. This third one is probably one of the, one of the hardest ones because even if you get your thinking right, this third one, there's, there's people around that can pull you into this. Conversations. You're con- conversing. How many of you, you had a time you were worshiping God, you were studying the Word, you were so sold on that God had blessed you and God had brought you into this thing, God had healed you, God had set you free, whatever it was, and then you go out and you have a conversation with somebody and you start telling them, oh, God blessed me, God healed me, God did this, God did that. Oh, do you really think it'll last? Or if you begin to say, well, I, I began to feel this. Oh, well, I guess you really didn't get that thing, did you? And we begin to have conversations with other people. Sometimes we have these conversations because I am afraid to declare I am blessed in front of unsaved people. Or even worse, religious people. How many of you feel a little funny talking about how blessed you are in front of religious people? Even unsaved people. Did any of you have to fight off the urge to walk into work on Monday morning and talk about all the blessings that God did for you? Because we feel that little bit of pressure from the, from the. Not saying you have to go into work and have all these, you know, just make people feel uncomfortable about it. I'm just telling you, your conversations are important. What kind of things do you converse about? All right, now we're, we want to take a look at a biblical example for all these things. Three things you're expecting, you're thinking, you're conversing. If you can just focus on these three things, you will change the course of your life. You will change the course of that healing. You will change the course of that blessing. If you can focus on these three things and keep these three things in line. Let me go over this part with you. How do you get biblical expectations in yourself? How do you get that? How do you get what God wants you to expect? How do you get that out of your life? Think of it this way. Maybe sometime when you were dating, you, you were away from a loved one for a while, and uh, you're getting ready to, to see them again. You know, maybe they were, you were away at college, you went to one college, they went to another, and you're writing letters, and you're getting close to when you're going to see them again, and you begin to write some, some letters. And what do, you, what do you do in those letters? Do you talk about when you might see each other again, where we might meet up, what restaurant we might, might find each other at. Or, and, and what does that begin to do to you? When they say, oh, remember we had that dinner over here? Hey, but if we go over and have that dinner at this place again? What does that do to you on the inside? Does that begin to paint an air of expectation? Oh, yeah, I oh, I can't wait. Oh, when we come and we go out there and, we can, and, and just to see you again and talk with you and, and be in this place again and, or maybe go for a walk in this particular park or whatever it might be. It builds expectation. How did you get there? You're not face-to-face. How did you get there? Writing some letters. Now, and now with cell phones, talking on the phone is easier than writing letters. How many of y'all know that one? When I was in college, if you were away from somebody, there was really only one way to communicate outside of, of, of letters. That was a payphone. To go to the payphone, put the quarters in. When I was in college, we had to put quarters in. 
There was there was no credit card that I knew of anyway. We had we had to go up to the thing. You had to have change. You're looking at four or five dollars for the change in order to make the phone call, put the quarters into the thing, and then you know you get two minutes, and then afterwards the operator comes on and says one dollar for the next sixty seconds or whatever it's going to be, and then you got to put the next dollar in and you got another sixty seconds to talk, and then you you know another. Remember those times? No one, young folks don't remember that one, but that's what's going on. When my wife and I were married, you know, we graduated, didn't need the coins anymore. But, you know, we still didn't have the cell phones, we, but we had the pay phone. And the, the motels that I stayed at, they didn't have a phones in the room, but they had a pay phone outside. And so I would go outside, and after my day was done, I would call up, and we had credit cards. You could put the credit card number in, and now you didn't need change. And then no, no operator would come on and say, you have one minute. Didn't have any of that going on. You just sit there and you, know, you just kind of keep an eye on what it's going to be because it's going to cost you some money. And so we'd sit there and sometimes it'd be rainy and sometimes it'd be cold. But you're standing out there and you're talking on the phone and you're, you're, you, you, this is what you do. This is what you have. Now you just pop the cell phone out wherever you are, nice warm place, and just start uh, conversing, talking, things like that. But anyway, that wasn't quite that way. But how does God, God does not have a cell phone in heaven to call us but he's found some ways to do it. One of the ways is he's written us his word. If you want to have, build biblical expectation, get into his word. His word gives us the promises about what to expect. Get into his word. Dig into the word. Get the word out. Put that in. That's where you get the expectation from. How do you change your thinking? By meditating on the word that, that built the expectation. Meditating on that word. That's what you got to do. How do you change the, the conversing? You've got to keep bringing your conversation and check with what word you got that will build up that expectation. Are you talking about an expectation? Well, that pain's probably going to come back. And is your conversation going to be along those lines? What are you going to do? All right. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What, does that, what is the purpose of God saying this to Abram? Is there any other purpose than God saying that to Abram than to build expectation? Is there any other purpose? That's it, isn't it? He is there to build expectation. I want you to expect something. Abram, I am going to do this for you. Here it is. That's what the Word of God does for us. It builds expectation. I will bless you. Make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now Abraham is a good guy for us to look at. Because we all think about Abraham as this great uh, uh, guy in the faith, you know, faithful Abraham and all that sort of stuff. This is a guy who walks into Egypt, is afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him over his beautiful wife, and says that she's my sister, goes from there and defeats five kings who had come down and, and taken Lot with 200 servants. So we go from a place of being afraid of Pharaoh, he's going to kill you, to defeating five kings with 200 servants, not trained fighting men, servants. And then a few chapters later, 
being in front of Abimelech and being afraid again that he's going to kill me for my wife. And lying about it. Can you relate to Abraham? I mean, defeat, victory, defeat. <laughs> we can relate to this. So he's a good guy for us to look at. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the turbans tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God, again, is building expectations. You see all this land? This is all going to be yours. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. So what is God doing here? God is having a conversation. Isn't he? He's having a conversation with Abram. He's having a conversation to build expectation and change Abraham's thinking. He's trying to change Abraham's thinking. Is that not what he's doing? He's having conversations with him. Good, how many of y'all know they're good conversations? When God has a conversation, they are good conversations. He's trying to build up Abraham's expectation to expect something great and to change his thinking. Now go over to Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you are, or which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Is that not building expectation? Look, I want you to picture something that you can see. I want you to imagine all the dust of the earth. And I want you to imagine that each speck of dust is one of your descendants. That's how many you're going to have. Is the purpose of him telling them that anything more than to build expectation? Get him thinking, I am going to have a lot of descendants. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. So now I want you to walk through the land. I want you to envision this. Can you imagine this? If somebody said to you, look, I want you to go to Walmart. I want you to go to Sears. I want you to go to Target, whatever your favorite store is. And I want you to walk through the aisles. I want you to picture that everything in the store is yours. I'm going to give it to you. Now, I don't recommend you go into Walmart right now and walk out thinking, oh, that's, that, that, that wouldn't work out so well. But God is saying, I am going to give all this stuff to you. Can you what kind of expectation would that be? If, if you had a rich person who just came up to you and said, look, I want you to go up to the, to the uh, worldwide stereo. They have better TVs anyway than Walmart does. I want you to go up to the worldwide stereo and I want you to walk through worldwide stereo. And I want you to pick out the TV that you want. Whatever one you want in the entire store, I want you to pick it out and I will pay for it for you. So you go over there and you walk through and have you ever, ever been to Worldwide Stereo? I haven't been there in a couple of years, but they got some TVs in there. They got some nice TVs. And you can spend some money on TVs. How many of y'all think that spending $1,000 on a TV is a lot of money? Don't walk into that store. Because you can spend 
500 to to $1,000 on a TV in that store, but you could also spend a lot more. A lot more. You can spend some money on the TVs in the store that's there. So he says, go on in there and I want you to, to pick out. What if you came on out there and you, you found a little 13-inch black and white that they had in the back room? I, I, I'll take this one. What is wrong with you? Your thinking is wrong, right? You, we got to build your imagination. We got to bring you in. No, 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 no. You, you don't want that one. Look at this. Look at this. 60 inches of TV. Look at the colors. Look at the colors. If you ever want a, uh, just a fun thing to do, go into a Bose store and walk into the demo room. Has anybody not been into the Bose store and walked into the demo room yet? Am I talking to anybody here who has not been there? All right, good. I, yeah, I'll have an assignment. I want you to do this. It doesn't cost you anything at all. It won't cost you a dime. I have done it several times. It hasn't cost me a thing yet. I want you to walk into the Bose store, and I want you to say, I want you to demo for me the, the Bose TV system. I just want you to walk in there and just demo for me. And they'll do it for you. They love to demo this thing. And they will put you in a room, and it's all they close off the rest of the world to you. You do not see the rest of the world. It is gone. All that is there is this room. It's soundproof. It's lightproof. You don't see anything from any other place. And they put this TV it's up there on the screen. And I'm not going to tell you all the things that they're going to do because I'll ruin the surprise. Some of the surprise they do is just outstanding. But what they do with the sound and the picture on this TV will blow your mind. It's incredible. It's fun. Just go in there and have some fun. We were one time, you know, we were, we were there at the, the mall and, you know, we have a number of people go. And so the girls go where they wanted to go and the guys, we went where we wanted to go. And so we ended up at the Bose store and we all sat through the demo and uh, we had some fun with it. And then I think I, I think we were there for a little while. Didn't, didn't the ladies come with us? And then they wanted to see it again. I think we sat through it twice. And, we, we, and it was terrible, tough to sit through it two times. No, it wasn't at all. It was actually pretty easy to sit through it two times. It's, it's incredible. But what it does is it builds your expectation. We are going to blow your mind what you think TV can do. And they build an expectation. And they don't tell you how much it costs. Because what they want you to do, they want to build an expectation of what this thing can do. And, and, what you, and I'll tell you what, what they do with sound, it is absolutely incredible. He takes a little light meter, a little a laser, and he shines it in the room. And the sound follows the light. You think I'm kidding you. Go for the demo. Go for the demo and let them do it. The sound follows the light all the way around the room. Does your TV do that? <laughs> anyway, we've had five. We still don't own a Sony TV or a, a Bose TV. So we've, we, I've done it three, four, five times and I still don't own one. So they don't pressure you to go out there and buy it. You'll be okay. You can just go in there and have some fun. But it builds expectation. This is what God is doing. He's building expectation. I want you to look. I want you to see. I want you to, to be in the land. I don't want to tell you about the land. I want you to walk through the land. I want you to see the land. I want you to see all the cities. I want you to see all the, the fruit of the land. I want you to see all the, the streams and the rivers. And I want you to envision that this is yours. Because I'm giving it to you. And Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the turban of the trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. 
Verse uh, 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, Abraham has been on a path of being childless. His desire is to change that and to have a child, have descendants. Isn't that right? And that, that's what he wants? God wants to get him off of this path. He's been on the path of being childless when God met up with him for 75 years. That's a long time. That's a lot of ruts. That's a deep rut in the road that you're following. 75 years, he has been thinking we cannot have a kid. 75 years. The time God met him. More time has gone on, but God has been working with him, trying to build expectation, trying to get his thinking going. Is it working? When God says to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. The first words out of his mouth is, But Lord, what will you give me, seeing as I go childless in the air of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Has he given him other stuff? Yes, he's become quite rich. But he has given him no offspring. How many of you can relate to this? Your focus generally is what you don't have, not what you do. That's what we usually focus on. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. All right, we had dust. Now we got stars. So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. He's building that expectation again with him. Is this working on Abram? Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah, Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Not only has the Lord not helped us, he's, he's, he's fighting against us. How do you get to that place? How do you get to the place of thinking that God is not helping you or, or not, not blessing you in this and He is actually working against you? How do you get to that place? Because your thinking is wrong. Your thinking is wrong. Have you ever thought that something is going bad in your life God is actually trying to teach you something on? How did you get to that place? Because you were thinking on it that way. Your thinking was off. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my, my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, his, uh, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. 75, somewhere around 85 years. 85 years, he is still going in the way of, I am childless. God has been working with him, trying to promote expectation, trying to change his thinking. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, the word that we just saw that God spoke to him, he said, no, but one from your own body. Well, if he has Hagar as wife, would it be from his own body? Could you be thinking and reasoning this thing out? Well, I get, maybe that's maybe this is what we were misunderstanding God all this time. Maybe God wanted to bless me by me taking on another wife. 
Now, look at this. Though God and Abraham were having good conversations. How many of you know God and Abraham were having great conversations? We got them in Scripture. They're good. Aren't they good conversations? How many of you want to have a conversation like that with God? These are good conversations. Not all were changed. What I mean by that is this. Not all of his conversations, not all of his thinking, and not all of his expectations was changed. How much of it was? Whatever conversations he had with God were right where they should be, right? When, when he had a conversation with God, he came out with expectations that were good. The Word of God even said that uh, he believed God and God accounted to him as righteousness. He believed God. It worked. Okay, so some of his conversations are going pretty well, but not all of them. What was the conversation we just saw with him, between him and his wife? Is that a good conversation? Isn't that easy to get pulled into a conversation that, all right, well, God's letting us down. We need to come up with a way. We need to come up with something. Isn't this what, what he's doing? That's a, that's a bad conversation, isn't it? That conversation, does it build good expectations? Bad expectations. What's it do to your thinking? It messes with your thinking. But your thinking had to be off to have the conversation. So what we know from Abraham, just from this passage here, is that his thinking, his expectation, his conversations have not all been changed. Some of them have. Here's a problem we've run into, Christians. Just because you change some of your conversations, expectations, and thinking does not mean you are on the path to get it. How many do you have to change? All of them. That doesn't mean that you have good conversations with all the people in church, good conversations with strangers you meet on the road. But when a relative comes up to you and talks to you about that condition, that thing, you have a bad conversation. Is that, is that going to help you? Pulls you right down. Don't be doing it. By the time Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham, he was 86 years old. Genesis 16, verse 16. Says it right there. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. 75 years, God starts working on. 85 years, God comes again. They get the idea about Ishmael. Verse 1, chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, he was 86. He's now 99. That's how many years have passed? 13 years have passed. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will, mul and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. That's what the name means. Father of many. He is changing his name. What benefit is it for Abraham to have his name changed to father of many? What will it affect? It's going to affect first off his expectations. Because if I keep saying my name is Abraham, what's that name mean? It's not like we have names today we don't know what they mean. They knew what the names meant. Every time he said his name, expectation. Every time he came up to somebody and he said, Hi, how you doing? He sticks out his hand, shakes his hand. Hi, I'm Abraham. Abraham. 
father of many. How many kids you got? <laughs> this is what they were doing that time frame, right? How many kids you got? None. Oh. And how old are you? I'm 99 years old. I guess it's not going to happen then, huh? <laughs> and he might even go into more of the story. Well, I used to be called Abram, but God changed my name to Abraham. When did he change that? Oh, just last year. So God took a guy who's 99 years old and changed his name with no kids, changed it to father of many. Yeah. You think that would start a conversation? Now, here's the thing. He's got to keep it into a good area. It's going to be real tough for him to speak doubt and unbelief about his future if his name is Abraham. And if he introduces himself as Abraham. Now, he's got the choice right here. He could go around and introduce himself as Hi, I'm Abram. But he doesn't. He goes on and he, he embraces this and he, he introduces himself as Abraham. I'm Abraham. Well, I thought you were Abram. I used to be. Now I'm Abraham. But that means father of many. Sure does. How many kids you got? None yet. And this begins to do something inside of Abraham. And now, all of a sudden, his expectation, his thinking, and his conversation are all in line. Where do we leave off at? Verse 5? I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations, plural, of you. And kings, plural, shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger and all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Verse 17. Jump on down. All this stuff. God says some more stuff to him. But here in verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and believed God. No, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Up to this point, 75 years is when God started working with him. He's now 99 years old. God has been doing all kinds of things to build his expectation, to change his thinking, to get his conversations right. Has it worked? No, because his thinking is still way off. His expectations are way off. He falls on his face and laughs. Can you imagine God telling you something and you laughing? And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now he said the other part in his heart. This one he says out loud. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. Now we've already had this conversation. But he's already given up on it. God brings him back to it. This is why it's not happening. Why he's 99 years old is not happening. Because he has no expectation consistently. His thinking is off. And his conversation, I'm going to prove to you, his conversations are not right up until this point. I'll prove it to you. In the Word of God. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him, a fruit, will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Chapter 18, verse 1. 
Then the Lord appeared to him by the turban trees of Mamre, and as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, I, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, and after, the, after that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. He didn't just go to McDonald's. Just he didn't just bring home a bucket of chicken. I mean, this is some preparation. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, will your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in the age. Sarah was past, uh, past the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, not out loud, within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? God calls Sarah on her laughter. Does he say anything about Abraham? What does that tell you about Abraham? He did not laugh. He didn't change anything at all. How he believed before this was said is the same thing he believes now. God had finally got him to that place where his conversations, his thinking, and his expectation were lined up and were consistent. And he says, well, yeah. I know. You already said that to me. You said a year. We got it down. But Sarah heard this and she said, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> What's that tell you about Sarah? She was not lined up yet, was she? It's going to tell you something else about it too. Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And she said, No, but you did laugh. Why is Sarah afraid to talk about that she laughed? Think about a few chapters earlier. She has an entire conversation with him about doubt and unbelief, that God is not going to bring this thing about through her, so therefore take Hagar. She has that conversation with Abraham and she feels completely comfortable. Why does she suddenly now feel uncomfortable? Think and put yourself in Sarah's position. If you have had doubt and unbelief conversations with your husband up to this point and now all of a sudden you feel uncomfortable having them, what changed? Your husband. He's not having any part of these. If she has brought these things up, these doubt and unbelief conversations before, Abraham does what? God said. God said it. I know it. I know this time. God said, I know it. And she doesn't feel comfortable. Have you ever tried to have a doubt and unbelief conversation with someone who's a faith person? How comfortable do you feel? I mean, you feel about this big. I should know that stuff. Why am I saying that stuff? And they, they begin to correct... Sarah knows she would be corrected by Abraham if she brought this thing out. Because Abraham changed. 
He got his expectation, his thinking, and his conversations right. All the time. He was not a part-time guy on this, and Sarah knew it. I can't have this conversation with Abraham. I've got to hide it from Abraham. I've got to hide it from God. And so she said it inside of herself. No, but you did laugh. And we all know the rest of the story. Baby was born. Glory to God. How about Israel? We're not going to go into all the scriptures with Israel. I'm just going to, you, you know a lot of the stories with Israel. You, you know these things. So they were freed from being slaves, weren't they? God freed them from being slaves. But they would not let go of the thinking, expecting, expecting and conversing, would they? They kept thinking like a slave. They kept expecting slave things and they kept talking, having conversations about slavery. <laughs> this is what they did. God would paint a picture. Here's a, here's a picture that God painted for them. Exodus chapter 3 and 8. This is the first time he came and told this to them in the, in the Bible. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They've heard this before when God made it to their ancestors, but now God is coming to them and he's telling you guys, this is what I'm going to do. God is trying to paint a picture of, of some things. All the time in the ten plagues, God is painting a picture in the minds of Israel about how big God is. That when he brings gnats, he doesn't bring ten or twelve. <coughs> he brings millions. When he brings frogs, we're not talking a couple of dozen. We're talking so many that you can't go anywhere without stepping on a frog. Frogs everywhere. Just frogs, 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 frogs. When darkness falls, you can't find light anywhere in the land of Egypt. Most times he protected the land of Goshen from these things. But the land of Egypt, you couldn't find these things. When he turned the water into blood, you couldn't find water that was not turned into blood. Whatever he did, he did it big. And then he comes to the Red Sea. And they seem to be trapped. And God says, you just stand back and you watch. You think that's a big army that's coming after you? I'm going to show you how big I am. And he opens up the Red Sea. So that there's a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. And they walk through on dry ground. And then after they get all two to four million people through the Red Sea. You thought it was tough taking your two kids through Walmart. Right? You thought that was a hard thing to do. Two to four million people through the aisle that is made in the Red Sea. And when they get to the other side, the waters close on top of the army and wipe out the army. They run out of water in the desert and God says, I'll bring it to you from a rock. They run out of food and God brings manna from heaven, bread coming down from heaven. They wanted meat and God brings air delivery. Meat that comes to them. Now, I made this list out in your outline. It's, it's right in there. And at the end of that, you could put these simple letters at the end of that, couldn't you? E T etc. You can just keep on going. How many more things did God do in the wilderness to show them how big He was? 
And every time they ran into a problem, they ran out of water, they ran out of food, they ran out of something, they ran into a, a big army. Every time that happened, what was their conversations with each other? Let's go back to Egypt. Back in Egypt, we had leeks and garlic. They talked about their expectations as a slave. As a slave, it was great that we had leeks and garlic. That was a great day. Because we had all the leeks and garlic. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking I like meat. I like bread. I like ice cream. Now, When I'm thinking of abundance of food, I do not think of leeks and I do not think of garlic. I don't think about that. These folks do, because that's all they had, and that seemed to be to them to be prosperous. So every time that something bad happened, their conversations with each other were, let's get rid of Moses, let's kill Moses. Who is this God? Their expectation is, God brought us out here to die. How many times did they say, God brought us out here to die? What's their expectation? To die. What's their thinking? It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. We're slaves. We'll always be slaves. They never change their expectation, their thinking, or their conversations with each other. And when they finally came to the promised land, they balked. And God said, that's it. I'm done with this generation. We're going to wipe out this whole generation and start off with a new one. When the new one came and they saw Jericho, what did they do? Let's get them. Because their expectation, their thinking, and their conversations had been changed. If you can just focus on three things... For whatever it is that you have, just focus on three things. Get your expectations right. Change your expectation for that thing. If it always hurt you before, and if it starts to twinge a little bit, what should you say? Well, I thought I was healed. I thought it was getting better. What should you say? I am healed. I don't care what you tell me, body. You are a lying body. The Word of God says I am healed. Whatever it is that you got. Something comes along and tells you differently. What should you say? Mm-mm. No, 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 no. You're thinking. Keep mulling over the Word of God. What's the promises of the Word tell you? Keep mulling over that. How long should you do it? Forever. <laughs> Just keep doing it. Just keep going. How about your conversations? Folks, people should be so nervous about having a doubt and unbelief conversation with you because you just put them in your place. Now, here's an example for you. Think about Peter. He comes over to Jesus to have a doubt and unbelief conversation. You shouldn't be talking like this. You shouldn't be teaching this. You shouldn't be talking about how you're going to be suffering and in three days be right. You shouldn't be talking about all this stuff. And what does, what does Jesus say? Well, you know, Peter, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Maybe you're right. Maybe we shouldn't have this. Maybe I shouldn't be going off. The, uh, no, what's he say? Get behind me, Satan. You try that out with a few of your doubt and unbelief friends and see if they come back. <laughs> Get your expectation right. Get your thinking right. Get your conversation right. Folks, if you just focus on those three things for whatever it is that you got, expectation, thinking, conversations, if you just focus on those three things, you will change the course of your life. You will change the course of your life. Here's what you've got to do. Listen to yourself. Hear what you're saying. Because what you say with your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. Listen to yourself. What, is what, what you're saying, what is it saying about what you're expecting? If you were a person and you just heard the things that you're saying out of your mouth, 
what would you say that person is expecting? Change can come, but it will not happen without effort. Whatever change you want to do, it will take effort. You've got to move yourself in a different direction. If you want to lose weight, how many of y'all know you have to change your eating habits? You've got to change your exercise habits. What happens when we change our eating habits? What happens when you change it? How many of y'all feel the tug to go back to what you were doing before? Right? We feel that tug. I, I, I want to go back. Oh, it was the leeks and the garlic. I want to go back. There's a pull to take you back. If you want something different, you've got to change what you're doing. Listen to God. Don't listen to other people. Other people are always going to tell you, well, just do something. Just because you do something different doesn't mean you're going to get what you want. Listen to God. God's going to tell you some things. Do this. Do this. If God says it to you, what should you do? Do it. Just like the words of Mary. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Get that expectation built up from his word. Change your thinking. Be constantly thinking in line with that expectation and have conversations only about it working. Don't have conversations about it failing. Only have conversations about it working. If your doctor wants to tell you something different, just don't have the conversation. You don't have to convert. Just don't converse. Understand? You don't have to convert your doctor. Just don't converse with them on it. He says, you're going to die. Okay, Doc, appreciate your, your input on that. I'm going, to, I'm going to go now. I don't have to convert them, but I don't have to engage in the conversation. God says you're healed, you're healed. You don't need the doctor to agree with you. Just go on. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. That we have expectations built up from your word. And we want to hang on to those. Not to let them go. Not to have conversations that are contrary to them. But to have conversations that are in line with the Word. So that other people feel uncomfortable talking to us about doubt and unbelief. And that's just fine. They were uncomfortable talking to Jesus about it too. Thank you for the help that you give us. For Father, you have set us in a path to go in the right direction in good direction, a beneficial direction. We need to hang on to what it is that you have said to us. Our expectation is formed from your word. Our thinking is meditating on that word. And our conversations are born out of that thinking. We need to stay in line with it. We thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we go, today is Communion Sunday. This is our day where we remember what the Lord did for us as he took his body to the cross to be beaten. He did it for us, though, because he wanted us to be healed, to be set free, to be loosed from bondage. And that's what we need to, to keep remembering. The Word of God tells us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We go over it every time because this is what the Word of God told us to do. The Last Supper was broken up into two parts. The first part he did before supper. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body. The body of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, the blood is not sufficient. How many of y'all believe the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin? If the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all sin, we do not need His body. Right? Doesn't that make sense? If the blood is sufficient, we don't need His body. So His body is to do something else. And even put a whole meal in between. Breaking of the bread, the meal, after supper, He took the cup. Because there are two parts to salvation. One has to deal with your body. The other has to do with your spirit. With the blood, our spirit, the old man, is dead. We died with him. And we are made alive new. In the body, he, he says, in your physical body that is still surviving, I have redeemed it as well. And your physical body here on this earth, this one, when you get to heaven, you won't have that, that same physical body. It won't need the body of Jesus Christ. It won't need that. Sickness and disease will be done away with. But here, in this life, we need it. And in His body, the Word of God tells us, in His body was put our sickness, our disease. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Not forgiven. Healed. We're forgiven because of the blood. We are bought back because of the blood. His body different. As we eat together, let's remember, the body of Jesus Christ was given that I walk in this life healed. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, the blood of goats, and lambs, and bulls, all could do was cover up sin. But his blood washed us clean. Your own righteous acts do nothing. We receive His righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but His is spotless white. We wear His robe of righteousness. Let's drink together and remember. Glory to God. He knew we would forget. He said, do this often. Stay in remembrance of it. How many of y'all know there are plenty of places you can go and you can hear the Word of God and they have forgotten that Jesus is our healer. We have some praise reports, I'm sure. If you didn't get your praise report in, shame on you. <laughs> no, you still have some time. While we're reading off some of these other ones, we'll get, uh, get yours. Some of you already got it written up. Just uh, wave at the usher and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll pick them up for you. But if you did forget to write it up when you came in here or as the service is going on, you didn't write it up yet, you still have time. Go ahead and uh, write that up and we'll, we'll get it in here before we're done. Okay, Chelsea um, gave one. First of all, I'm glad to be back. Week. We missed you all last week and heard that it was an awesome, awesome service. Yes, again. we did. Praise God. Um, Chelsea said, I was able to share with a coworker about the, the truth and importance of tithing last week. So that's a good thing. She said, A few friends I've been praying for will be saved, have, been, have shown some softening and openness to God recently. She's rejoicing and praising God 
um, for the victory and confess that it's done. And we rejoice with you. Amen. She says, I've been praying for wisdom and direction for my future for a long time now. Tammy and Jay called me up to pray over me, and I was expecting them to pray over me in that area. But Jay prayed that I would that I would more deeper in the oh I would move deeper in the Holy Spirit, and that I would be filled with a renewed passion for God. I heard God say, "Just worship me," and I know that though that wasn't what I was expecting to hear, it's what I needed to hear. It is the answer I've been <coughs> what is that word? I've been knowing for. Um, she's been looking for it and I know the direction is coming as I worship him deeper Amen, praise God and if I'm correct, that's the second time God spoke to you that way Candy, um, she's, now this is the long one I'm going to share the whole thing she says um, her neighbor Glenn was talking to her, her, her husband about his back problem he said it was so bad that um, they had to put him on workman's comp which is never a good thing um, and it, he started to become depressed. You know, a lot of times when people are out of work and just sitting at home, what happens? You begin to expect and think and have conversation about the negative instead. Um, she said she was standing there listening, and she told her husband, uh, she was standing there listening to him telling her husband all these things. She was able to ask him, you know, do you believe that God can heal you? He said they did, and they began to pray. And um, she said he, he was grateful for her prayers and hugged her twice. The next day when she saw him, um, she said she asked him how he felt, and he said he felt much better, and he didn't have the depression that had gone from him. Also, this was the first time in many nights that he could sleep. How many of you praise God for good night's sleep? <laughs> he said he slept like a baby. We began to praise the Lord right there in the middle of the street. So that I told him Jesus was not through with him yet, and we are praying for a complete healing for him. Amen. And if he does not belong to a church, that he gets himself in a church that can continue to, to help out with that. Here's another. I just love all these crazy words. This is from Naz. He says, thank God for always making a way when there seems to be no way. He said he, needed to make, he needs to make an emergency trip to Trinidad. Um, she said, through Sharon's persistence, God made a way. Someone canceled, and I leave Wednesday for Trinidad. Wow. He said, my mom is not in good health, so we will pray about that. Mm. Um, there were no flights um, until maybe the end of September or early October, but God had somebody to cancel. He made a way so that Naz could go. Amen. Doing that. Okay. Um, the ECPAY, she said, all the ECPAY kids now qualify for the before and after school lunch program. After eight years of being not qualified, they finally did. And Jolly said that another, he found another devastating insect, the, the copra beetle. Yeah, he found that coming through customs um, and is up for an on-the-spot cash reward. <laughs> Praise <laughs> God. Woohoo! Um, this is from Ray. He says, I've learned to never say never. <laughs> I'm still learning that one. Uh, God has a sense of humor when you say things like that. When I was a nurse, I said I would never be a critical care nurse. Six years later, I was a critical care nurse. I did that for 19 years. During that time, I said I would never get into management or education. I am now the nursing supervisor. <laughs> I had my evaluation this past Friday and passed with flying colors. One of the goals my boss would like me to take on is being the educational resource at night for the new staff. There are, nev there are some nevers that I will not utter. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now this one is a testimony. Remember at the beginning of summer, Pastor gave us had us all um, at the last SALT meeting talk about goals that we had. 
Here's one that was met. Susan said, I met my 90,000-word goal on yeah. her fourth book, and she finished the rough draft this Friday night. Hmm. That was one of her goals, so praise God. She said this was a very difficult story to write. Um, Ethel said, for the word of God that sustains me through the difficult times, because of uncompromised word that is taught, I do not give in to my feelings <clears throat> when what has been promised is taking some time to, in to materialize. She says she uh, praises God that people who have authority in my life hear from the Holy Spirit and instruct me as to what he has said. If not for Miss Gladys, Jay and Tammy might have had their luggage <laughs> might have had their luggage bungee corded to the top of my car. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask her about that one. 